Uh, we'll be going through Ephesians 4, verses 29 and 30. The Holy Spirit says this through the mouth of Paul. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let's pray together. Gracious God, you do indeed speak to us through your word. You speak tenderly. You do at times rebuke us and correct us. And uh, we do pray, Father, that um, the words of my mouth would do just this, that it would not corrupt but would build up, that you would build us up in our holy faith, that you would help us to be united, that you would encourage us to walk in a way that's pleasing to you, that you actually might work your grace through us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Our words have tremendous power. They are so easily spoken, sometimes so carelessly or thoughtlessly spoken, and yet they have great power. Uh, consider this quote, words have energy and power with the ability to help, to heal, to hinder, to hurt, to harm, to humiliate, and to humble. Uh, kids, you've probably heard this little rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Man, that would be nice if it were true. It's hardly true. Um, many of us have felt the power of words in a hurtful way. Uh, we have hurt others with our words. Uh, and it's something that both Christians and non-Christians understand. Uh, some more quotes about the power of words. The tongue has no bones, but it is strong enough to break a heart. So be careful with your words. A broken bone can heal, but the wound a word opens can fester forever. Words, what power they hold, once they have rooted in your psyche, it is difficult to escape them. Words can shape the future of a child and destroy the existence of an adult. Words are powerful. Be careful how you use them because once you have pronounced them, you cannot remove the scar that they leave behind. Or, as we just read from James chapter 3, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. It is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the whole course of life, and set on fire by hell. We, have, we wield these deadly and destructive weapons inside our mouths. And uh, we have felt that warfare uh, from others. We have caused that warfare from others. And yet in the midst of that, uh, in the midst of this section where Paul has been going through, talking about put aside the old self and put on the new self, I think the Apostle Paul would give us great hope, even when it comes to our speech, um, what we see is that our God comes and works his transforming grace within our hearts so that 
these weapons would become actually vessels of God's grace. That God would actually turn these swords in our mouths into means by which he would build up his people and give us his grace through one another. And that's exactly what I think we ought to see is that God's intent, the Lord's intent for his people is that he would give grace through the words of his people. Now, if I were to ask you what is the outline of this passage, I hope by now you would have a general idea of what that outline is because we've seen it each and every week for the past, I think, four weeks. The general outline is put off, put on, and here's why. Uh, And the same thing here in verses 29 and 30, we see this call to put off speech that corrupts, put on speech that builds up or edifies. And here we actually get two reasons why, a positive and a negative. One, a positive so that it would give grace to those who hear, but also so that we would not grieve the Holy Spirit. So he starts off by saying, um, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Now that word for corrupting uh, is a word that gets used elsewhere to mean these types of things. Rancid fish, or rotten wood, or withered flowers, or diseased lungs, or the putrid smell of death. In the New Testament, it gets used for bad fruit on a tree, or a fisherman uh, fishing and casting aside the useless junk that they've hauled in with their nets. It's a picture of corrosion um, causing a a tearing down, but also this uh, smell of putridness. Uh, and um, I don't know about all of you, I am not a good handyman around the house. And when it comes to plumbing, there is very few. There are very few things that I will actually uh, try to do because it usually ends up in an expensive call to the plumber. But there is one thing that I have had to do on more than one occasion that I feel qualified enough to be able to do, and that's when I will go into a particular bathroom and I will smell from a sink or a drink, a shower drain a, a really bad smell, and you know what that means, that there's probably something clogged in the line. I had this just a few weeks ago, and you start to take off all the pipes, and then you find it. You find this hairball of grime and nastiness of stuff that is just collected there, and it's got this noxious smell that kind of comes out, and you have to clean it out. That's, I think, the sense of these words, um, that the words that come out of our mouths have both this corrosive nature to the body of Christ and to one another, but also an offensive nature to the nostrils of our God. He would, he would define it as offensive and noxious. Um, and... Those words come out of our mouths, and, and it's not a joke. Uh, so often our, our jokes have carry those uh, destructive tendencies. Um, but this is a matter of the structural integrity of God's church, uh, words that would tear things down. So he says, put those things off, but put on. He says, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. 
Um, another way of putting it is uh, only something that is useful for building up or edifying. So notice the construction metaphor that Paul uses. We use the term edifying, which uh, itself has a construction sense to it of an edifice, of building up. Um, and remember what Paul has been telling us about how he has put us together as a body of Christ and he has made us a, uh, a holy structure. He's building us into a holy temple where we are members or parts of that structure. And what he seems to be saying is the words that we use ought to be the vehicle by which that structure is built up. Um, and, and notice the, the, the necessity for wisdom as well. He says, um, uh, as fits the occasion. So when we talk about wisdom, one way of defining wisdom is applied knowledge. And often that is situational, meaning we need to understand the situation that we are in to know what is the wise thing to do. Um, and Paul doesn't give us a one-size-fits-all, this is how you must talk, but he says you need to slow down and understand the situation that you're in, the occasion that you're in, the person that you're speaking with, and use words that build up as fits that particular occasion. And um, I, I think that even culturally speaking, we have a sense of the necessity of our words, how there is a right way to talk and a wrong way to talk. Um, we have, most people have some sort of a filter on their mouths, although you see that less and less. Um, but as we've talked about in previous uh, parts of this uh, Ephesians chapter 4 text, the why matters, the reason matters for why we are exhorted to these things. It's not simply um, don't tear down and, and, and build up, but the, the reason matters. Um, and, and Paul gives us two reasons. The first reason is, he says, that it may give grace to those who hear. The, that the words, words that build up actually give grace. And that's pretty exciting. That ought to really excite you and motivate your heart to really concentrating on how your words can build one another up. Because Paul has said amazing things about grace in Ephesians. If you remember, he says that we have received every uh, all the spiritual blessings of his grace. He has lavished his grace upon us. He's told us that we are saved by grace. Through faith. And he also talked about uh, that we have received grace in the gifts that we have been given for the building up of the body. So we see different kinds of grace, but here Paul says, this is the first time that Paul says of how that grace is given. And he says is it's through the words that you and I speak. And that's pretty remarkable. That God would appropriate our tongues and cause our brothers and sisters to be built up in our faith, to be built up in our ability to serve through our words. And the other reason that he gives is a negative reason. He says, <clears throat> and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And we were told back in chapter 1 that we were sealed by the Holy Spirit 
before the day of redemption, that he is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, that we have been knit together as one body in the Spirit, um, united to Christ by the Spirit. But now we have this remarkable statement, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It's pretty remarkable because this is probably the clearest statement in all of Scripture of the personhood of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we talk about the Holy Spirit's power, and sometimes we impersonalize the Holy Spirit as a, as a force. But if the Holy Spirit can be grieved, then the Holy Spirit has emotions, which suggests the Holy Spirit is a person. And this also goes to the motivation of our words, is that, that our words would actually grieve the one that has knit us together as one. I think it hints to the, the power of our words to affect the unity of the body of Christ that we've been called to, um, the joy that we are intended to have with one another, and the love for, that we have for one another. And it's, it hints at a relational aspect of our words. We tend to, I think, make uh, turn our, our the, the right words good or bad, into a rule set. Like we have, we have rules to not speak bad and we need to speak good and, and it's about rules in this abstract sense. But just in the middle of all these exhortations, Paul says there's a relational aspect as though like you've been sealed for the day of redemption. You've been delivered from death. You've been united to Christ in his death and resurrection you've been united to one another and if your words are so coarse and callous that you would tear down your brothers and sisters the the spirit is grieved like how do you not understand the gift that you've received do you not understand the power that is at within you that you would continue this way and it makes me think of um a situation that happened to me uh I, uh, I would say that I had a good relationship with my father growing up. Uh, and until I reached my teenage years, and when I reached those dark years, you know, you're trying to prove out who's the king of the castle. And uh, I remember there was a, a situation where we were sitting down at the dinner table, and we had a guest over, and I don't remember who the guest was. And my dad asked me to do something in front of this guest, and I don't remember what he asked. But I remember my heart at the time, and I said, this is going to be the time that I'm going to show him that I'm not going to submit to him. And I looked him in the face, and I said, no, I'm not going to do it. And he was taken aback because this had not happened before, and he asked me again. And I just remember being, I want to be a smug punk right now, and I'm just going to look him in the face and say, no. Well, he sent me to my room, and a few minutes later he came up, and he was angry with what I would characterize as a righteous anger. But I expected the anger. I think I was picking a fight. Um, I was ready to do that. But in the midst of the anger, there was something that I saw that I will never forget. Is there was a grief of how dare you do this to our relationship? Uh, How do you not understand the love that I have for you? And he didn't have to say those words. I saw those words. 
And kids and students, like I know that there are times where you go to battle with your parents. And there are times when you see your parents angry at you. But I hope you see in the midst of their anger a grief. They love you. They have poured out their lives to care for you and to raise you. And uh, it grieves them when they see things not going in the way that they had hoped and prayed. And they fear the future of what that might mean. And uh, they love you. And brothers and sisters, that same grief is the grief that our God communicates to us, is that, that our words grieve him. When, we, when he hears his children talking to them, each other in a way that tears each other down and corrupts uh, the, the unity and the love that we have, it grieves him. It ought to drive us to putting on speech that builds up. So if we're called to this, uh, to put aside this uh, corrupting talk, uh, corrupting talk might be obvious, but let's just, let's just call it out. Um, let's just speak plainly. Um, there's a sense where this could refer to some kind of sexually explicit talk or some kind of innuendo. Uh, we'll, Paul will get into that type of talk in chapter 5. I don't think that's exactly what he's talking about here. I think he's just more generally talking about any kind of talk that really doesn't build each other up. And I think we can start with just incessant criticism, a critical spirit that just tends to find nothing good or, or constantly finds something to cri criticize or nitpick or complain about. Anything that, that stirs up a disunity or a lack of joy or a discouragement within the body of Christ. Um, and it's true that not everything in the church is good. I, we, I don't want to uh, come across as saying we ought to be Pollyanna and, and only act as though there's nothing bad. They're, they're, we're full of sinners. And by God's grace, he knits us together. And yet, God's word conditions how we ought to respond. And this passage, I think, goes more towards the manner of how we would deal with those things that aren't good. Um, we're told to do everything without complaining or arguing. And we looked a few verses ago about how we are called to speak the truth in love. And we're called to be angry at the sin that we see, but not sin. Um, so the manner of dealing with things matters. Um, when we attack people or motives or we complain as though that is the proper response, that is corrupting talk that hurts the body of Christ. Um, Galatians 6.1 uh, says that if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual ought to restore one another gently. Um, and Proverbs talks about a gentle answer turns away wrath. When we speak with harshness, when we ridicule, that is corrupting talk that tears one another down. And, I mean, we live in a, a time where the civ civility of our speech is um, just not valued a, a very much. If you spend any time on the internet, you are going to get 
find your way to internet trolls that the, the sole purpose is to stir up dissension and arguments and criticism and it bleeds into our thinking and into our souls and out of our mouths. But Paul has been saying that's part of the way that we were. That's part of our hearts. We gravitate towards that because that's our, our natural inclination. But he says that's not the way that you've learned Christ. That's not the way that Christ is at work in you. And so we ought to focus on how we can put that aside and put on Christ and speak in a way that's pleasing to him. And so we ought to think about how Christ spoke and, and what, what being a Christian with our words really means. And we remember that Jesus was the very word of God. He came to reveal God's glorious purposes for us. And so there's an aspect that speaking edifying talk is Christ-centered talk. It's hopeful talk. It's joyful talk. It's characterizing and helping to recast our situation in light of the fact that Christ has come. Christ was uh, the one who came who wouldn't snuff out a smoldering wick and who wouldn't bruise or wouldn't break a bruised reed. He was very gentle and lowly of heart. And that type of gentleness and kindness ought to characterize our speech and often doesn't. Um, Paul writes, I think, a good summary of this in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. That's similar to the things that he had said at the beginning of Ephesians 4, um, that we are to be with all, live with one another with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. And remember, we're called to unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And words appear to be the primary vehicle for either cultivating unity or tearing that down and creating disunity. And um, that's important because I think when we look at this passage, the way that it's worded, it almost sounds like we could say, well, he's saying, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, only what is good. Well, if I, maybe if I don't have something good to say, I shouldn't say anything at all. And I just need a better filter over my mouth. And we do need filters over our mouths. We do need better filters. But what the... What Paul is saying is there's, there's much more to it. It's not simply a filter. Paul would actually have us say things that do build up. We can't just not talk. We need to speak in a way that builds one another up. Um, Jesus had uh, critical things to say about the Pharisees. He had things that... He needed to point out, and he didn't just not say anything and let them go their way. There was corruption that was there, and he didn't avoid, by, by just allowing corruption to happen, that is, that is not what he would call us to do. If, if there is something that needs to be dealt with, we must deal with it. As Titus 1 said, uh, Paul wrote to Titus, and he said, there's, a, there's a, a, Crete, a prophet from Crete who wrote this. He said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And he says, this is true. So rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith. It is um, 
to the structural integrity of the body of Christ to deal with something, wickedness and sin from within. And sometimes that means rebuking sharply, but that's fitting the occasion. That's a, a, a wisdom for the situation. At the same time, there's a spirit of patience and kindness and grace. We need a filter, but remember what Jesus has, has said to us, it was in our law passage, is that it's not, our, the words aren't the real problem. The problem is what's going on in our hearts. Jesus said it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. You can, you can sit there and you can try to not say the wrong things, but if, if your heart is not transformed, then those words are going to come out. One of the psalmists says, you know, I put my hand over my mouth and my, a fire burned within my soul. It's like you're not, you're not dealing with the real issue. It's when we, we, have a critical, we have critical words because our hearts are critical. We, we ridicule because we're ridiculing in our heart life. But Jesus came to transform our hearts. That's, that's that same power that's been at work in the church that is at work in each one of us to put off that former manner of thinking and living and to put on Christ so that we can speak what he would have us speak. Um, it's interesting to me how Paul puts this. He says um, that we need to speak what is good, that it may give grace to those who hear. He doesn't say um, that it would give grace to the one that I'm speaking to, but to those who hear. And there is a uh, reality that we, when we speak, our words are broadcast into earshot of all who hear. And there are often very unintended consequences to the words that we have. Um, often our words have collateral damage. We are dealing with someone in a very sharp and ungodly way, and others hear, and others take it up. And you see it when you have kids, when you see your kids repeating things that you didn't say to them, but you said to your spouse or somebody else, and you don't like it when you hear it out of their mouths. But the, the exciting thing is that Paul says that not, there's not just collateral damage, but there's also collateral grace. That if we speak in a way that is upbuilding and encouraging those words of grace that God would have us speak, that that is something that gives grace to those who hear. That that is, we set examples with the words that we have. So we ought to um, speak in a way that's pleasing to him and, and praise God that he um, gives grace unintentionally, uh, even when that's not what we're attending, intending to do. Um, there, there's a reality that some of us have, perhaps you've been, thinking about words that you have said at some point in your life that have harmed, bruised, scarred someone else. And there's a reality that um, some of us are living with the guilt of that. Um, someone once said, be careful with words. Once said, they can only be forgiven, not forgotten. And uh, there's something true to that. But praise God, uh, we must assert that your words are forgiven in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, as he hung on the cross, he became your careless, caustic, hateful, sexually explicit words. Your destructive words were laid on him and your, 
you have been forgiven in Christ Jesus. And now, by his Spirit, he is transforming your heart so that out of your heart would overflow words of grace. So put, put that on. Be transformed. Um, there was a <clears throat> part of in the Gospels where Jesus looked at his disciples and, he, and a number of them had gone away. And, and Jesus said, are you guys, he's talking to the 12, are you going to leave too? And Peter says this amazing thing. He says, well, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. And praise God, God gives, by his spirit, he gives us that same word, those words of life. That we would have that, not noxious, but attractive and beautiful sense of God's grace to share with one another. God would speak through you. Um, Some of us have been hurt tremendously by other people's words. Maybe they're in your household and um, you're bearing those scars. And um, forgiveness is a hard thing. We're going to talk about forgiveness next week. But I would encourage you to remember that if the person that has scarred you is in Christ, your God has felt the pain of those words more acutely than you ever have. And your God has forgiven that person. And if that's the case, our call is to forgive as the Lord forgave you. Um, Easier said than done sometimes, but that is the call that we have out of love and unity. Um, Just to close, I think um, there's a power to words. The way that God has constructed us is interesting because words have the power to stick in your gut and uh, remain with you your entire life. I remember words that I have said over the course of my life that I wish I could take back and I can't. And I remember hurtful things from when I was a child that people said to me that I can never unhear that have shaped and affected me. Um, But the exciting thing by God's grace is that just as hurtful words scar, helpful, gracious words bind up. Um, Ecclesiastes 12 says that the words of the wise are like goads, like nails that are firmly fixed. And I hope you have this as, of, as I have, is words of grace that someone has spoken to you where they have shared the gospel of grace they have exhorted you to put aside sins they have encouraged you in your gifts and your walk of grace and that has stuck with you just as much as those painful memories and that god has built you up through the words of others so that you can walk in a way that's pleasing to him and praise god that he works that same grace through you and through me, he, he transforms our lives so that we can speak that, so that we can build one another up, so that we can, God can shower one another with grace. And he does that because he's working in us that which is pleasing in his sight because he is zealous for the unity and the, the joy of his body. And he does that even as we build each other up in Christ Jesus. So amen and amen. Let's pray together.
Father, thank you that you do speak to us. Thank you that you make clear to us how important our words are. We do ask you to forgive us for our careless words. We do ask you to forgive us that we have been so slow to look for ways in which to encourage and to build one another up. We thank you that you are at work in our hearts, that you do work your grace even through our words, even though they seem so small. I pray that you would do that. Help us to be faithful in this, not out of slavish fear, but out of joy because of all that you have done for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.